Hello, I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening and also to explain why you might hear ads like this before, during, or even after an episode. We're a small but mighty team here at Realm, and to help fund our shows, we promote products or services that we think you'd enjoy from a variety of sponsors. If any of our ads interest you, one of the best ways to support us is by visiting the link or using the promo code in the ad. It's pretty much a win-win since you can get some great deals and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm slash partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this, talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. Realm presents Bullet Catcher, Season 3, Episode 3. The Road. They aren't an hour out of town before Nico begins worrying about Cass. They gallop alongside one another, and Nico can't help but notice how Cass's head droops over the neck of her new horse like a willow over water. Her eyes are tight slits against the dust and sun. That's how it goes, he thinks. Some people slide slowly into old age, and for others, getting old happens all at once. Even after Emma left Watertown, when they all still believed she might return on her own, Cass still had her nose in every bit of town business, from helping plan and build all the new storefronts and cabins, to running town hall meetings and going out on patrol near every night. And then, one day, she suddenly seemed tired of it all. Now she rides slumped in the saddle, like she's nursing a gunshot. They stop at an oasis, a well dug deep into the sand, sheltered by a short, sun-bleached wood awning. They sit in the shade and pass the canteen back and forth. Cass wipes her mouth and looks out at the wobbling line of the desert. What's on your mind, youngin? she says, not looking at Nico. Nothing in particular. You staring at me like a doctor looks at the dying. Concerned is all. She turns to Nico. Her eyes are pale, ghost-like. Don't waste your concern on an old fogey like me. Worry about those that got a future. You don't have a future? She takes another swig from the canteen and passes it back. My future's already behind me. Maybe I'm worried that you'll slow me down. What would you have me do then? You're soft, like Emma. You worry about others too much. But you were a gunslinger once, and I reckon you still know how to pull a trigger. Time comes when I'm slowing you down. I expect you to put me down, and to not waste time burying me deep. She stands, stretches her back, and fixes her hat on her head, pulling it low over her eyes. 
So when Nico stands, all he can see of her face are her lips. Chapped. Wrinkled. Scarred. If that happens, you find your sister and bring her home. The day passes slow under the sweltering sun. The next day, they rise before the light to get in an hour or two's ride before the heat sets in. They follow a path through the desert, beaten into the ground by horses and people for no one knows how long. The path stretches into the distance, a pale scar on the face of the earth, branching now and then to one or another small town or forgotten place. It's late on the second day when they spot the caravan, approaching from the opposite direction along the path. They slow their horses and steer behind a bluff, dismount, and crawl to the top of the rise, overlooking the path. Cass watches the caravan through an eyeglass. Nico lies on his back, looking up at the piercing blue sky, chewing on a strap of leather to fight off the hunger pangs. Well, he asks after a minute or so, don't seem to be gunslingers. Don't mean they won't sell us out first chance they get if they spot us. It'll cost us half a day to go around. Cass flips onto her back and collapses the eyeglass. She fiddles with it as she thinks. Then she sits up and points the glass back toward where they came from. Nico shields his eyes against the sun. There, in the distance, a line of horses coming their way. Gunslingers, Nico whispers. I reckon, Cass says. Then they're running for their horses. A moment later, they're in full gallop toward the caravan. They're spotted a ways out, and the caravan pulls their wagons in a circle to defend themselves. Peeking out from behind the wheels and over the saddles of the horses, Nico and Cass spot the flashes of rifle muzzles. Cass pulls a handkerchief from her pocket and waves it over her head, and all they can do is keep riding full steam and hope the people with the guns see it. A warning shot peels through the heat. Nico sits up in the saddle and holds his hands over his head, and that seems to calm the caravan people. As they approach, one of them comes out from cover, his rifle still planted against his shoulder, but the end pointed at nothing in particular. He's on the young side of middle-aged, not old enough to have known the war. He wears his beard in patches. A stark white patch interrupts his shock of brown hair, like he caught a lightning bolt right in that spot. What's your business, strangers? The man shouts. We're being pursued and ask for shelter, Cass says. The man peeks around their horses, at the line of gunslingers swiftly approaching. Y'all outlaws? We ain't gunslingers, is all. The man thinks for a moment, spits a gob of tobacco he'd been working into his gums. I'll have to take your guns. We got children here. Cass glances over her shoulder. They have only moments. Fair enough, she says. She and Nico dismount. Nico hands over his rifle and revolver. A man takes their horses by the bridle and leads them into formation with the other horses. A couple of teenagers emerge from one of the wagons and wave Nico and Cass inside. The clean smell of dust and sweat fills the wagon. The teenagers offer them robes and Nico and Cass hastily pull them on. It's not much of a disguise, but in the darkened interior of the wagon, they hope it will be enough. Nico fights to calm his breathing. The teenagers watch them with curiosity as if they've never seen two people quite like Nico and Cass. Their fingers intertwine on the bench between them. Their shoulders lean ever so slightly into one another's. Nico thinks of Rainer, hopes he's okay, that he's staying out of the fighting if there is any. 
he has to remind himself that Raynor can handle himself. He has to remind himself it's no use worrying. There's a part of him, a part of him he's tried to push down and forget, that feels he betrayed Raynor by going after Emma, as if it were impossible to love two people at once. The horses draw near. The wagon rumbles and then everything goes quiet. Nico reaches for his guns and then remembers handing them over. His heart beats faster. Cass pulls her knife from her pocket, holding it low by her side, ready to strike. From outside comes the sound of muffled voices. We are tracking two fugitives. No one come by this way in a day or two. You hiding them in one of the wagons? No one in there but my kin and a few other families who have been traveling together. The gunslinger spurs Jangle as he dismounts. He barks orders at the others. The sound of boots dropping to the earth. The dry sound of guns being drawn from their holsters. The flap is pulled aside quickly and white-hot light pours into the wagon. They blink spots out of their eyes. A gunslinger squats in the opening, his gun pointed at the three of them. Names, now. No one says anything. Cass's hand grips tighter around the handle of the knife. Nico feels her shift her weight, ready to leap at the gunslinger. Y'all deaf? I said names. Don't make me ask again. My name's Mabel, the young woman says, her voice trembling. This here's my husband, Jose. She points at Nico and Cass. And that there's my brother and grandma. You the only one with the tongue? Well... My husband's afraid of guns, you see, and my brother, he hasn't been right since that mule kicked him in the head when he was a kid. Granny, well, you know how the old can get. I sometimes wonder if she still knows her name. They ain't here, comes a voice from outside. Joyce, you got anything? The gunslinger holsters his gun. Just a pretty young thing that don't seem too afraid of a man with a gun. That right? Let's have a look at her then. The gunslinger grabs Mabel by the arm and pulls her toward him. Jose won't let go, and the gunslinger reaches for his revolver as a warning. Mabel's lips purse. She shakes her head at her husband, and he lets her go. The gunslinger pulls her outside. The flap falls back into place, and the wagon is washed in cool darkness. At least we won't be leaving empty-handed, one of the gunslinger's jokes. Jose's produced a gun from somewhere. He holds it awkwardly like he's never had cause to shoot it. Nico turns to Cass. She shakes her head. Nico closes his eyes and takes a deep breath. All they have to do is keep quiet. Shit. He grabs the gun in Jose's lap and charges out of the wagon. Cass leaps out the back, the blade in her hand catching the light like a mirror as she crosses from the darkness into daylight. There are ten of them sitting astride their horses. Their backs are toward the wagon as they get ready to set off. The one closest carries Mabel, her hands bound behind her back. No sooner do Nico's boots touch the ground than he lets fly six shots from the revolver, so quick that they sound like one shot. Each one finds a home in a gunslinger. They slump from their horses, dead before they hit the ground. The man with Mabel doesn't bother turning to see where the shots are coming from. He kicks his horse and they shoot off down the path. The three remaining gunslingers fight their horses, trying to get them to turn so they can see the shooter. From the other side of the caravan comes a bang, and two horses shoot off, running away from the path into the desert. There they go, one of the gunslingers shouts, and two of them go off in chase. The last jumps from his horse, gun in hand. 
He spies Nico and lets off two shots from the hip. The first goes wide, but the second is true. Nico turns away from the bullet, twisting his body in a way he only vaguely remembers, and with his offhand he finds the bullet and pushes it away from him. The side of the wagon splinters as the bullet safely buries itself in the wood. Nico, tangled up on himself, stumbles to the ground. He throws the empty gun at the gunslinger, giving himself enough time to roll underneath the wagon, trailed by a line of bullets. The gunslinger rushes around the wagon to cut Nico off. Jose leaps from the opening, tackling the gunslinger to the ground. They scramble for the gun before the gunslinger manages to kick Jose off him. He levels the shooter at Jose. The boy closes his eyes, ready for the final shot. But it never comes. And when he opens his eyes, there's Cass standing over him, the knife in her hand, tipped with blood, and the gunslinger dead on the ground. Nico climbs to the driver's seat of the wagon and peers off in the direction the gunslinger rode away with Mabel. He spots him, far off, nearly out of range. My rifle, he shouts. The man who took it tosses it up to him, and in one movement he plucks it from the air and levels the sight on the rider. He centers the man in his sight, adjusts for distance and the wind. He takes a deep breath and lets it out slow. And then he pulls the trigger. For a few moments the horse gallops on. Then it pulls up and the dark shape of the rider slumps from the saddle. Jose swings up on a horse and rides off toward his wife. Nico lowers the rifle and slumps onto the driver's bench. He wipes sweat from his brow with his sleeve and watches Jose's horse recede into the distance. Thought you said you weren't a gunslinger. It's the man who met them when they first rode up. I ain't. Not anymore. Late that night, Nico and Cass crowd around the campfire with the rest of the caravan. Mabel and Jose sit together, their hips touching, eating off the same plate, both of them tired-eyed and silent. The man who first met them comes over with plates of beans and rice and unleavened bread, which they take, thankfully. Name's Miguel, the man says. Where are you two headed? We are looking for someone, Cass says, staring at the fire. My sister. She ran away nearly a year ago. Awful hard finding anybody in all this, Miguel says, flicking his eyes toward the darkness beyond the lighted circle. Depends if a person wants to be found or not, Cass says. You saying a person's going to run away just so someone can go looking for her? Nigo flicks a piece of stale bread off his plate. It sizzles in the fire. Can't think of any better reason. Gravesend is still a long ride from the nowhere they find themselves. They lost time dealing with the gunslingers, time they don't have if they're going to make it back to Watertown while there is still a town to save. They pass town after town on the road to Gravesend, places so small they don't have names. Sometimes there's a saloon or a gambling hall, a few cabins or shacks. Often there's a horse trough and not much else. They run across a post office with a skeletal horse leaning in the narrow shade cast by the building. A well, bone dry, the bottom littered with human skulls, so that when they pull up the bucket, two black, naked sockets stare at them. They grumble and let the bucket down easy out of some half-considered respect and press on, extra cautious of the water they have left in their canteens. 
I like a story that will take me to extremes. And nothing says extreme quite like The Last City, a new Wondery podcast available now. Set in 2072, the city of Pura is a geo-engineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image, which, given its promise of being a miraculous green haven in a climate-ravaged world, shouldn't be too hard to sell, but things are not always as perfect and shiny as we'd like to believe. When she stumbles upon a dark secret that could lead to the downfall of Pura's existence if revealed, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Do you like science fiction? I'm Carrie Bechet, and if you loved movies like Arrival or Interstellar, then you're going to want to check out my podcast, Hypothetical. On Hypothetical, we tell speculative sci-fi stories interwoven with real science. New episodes every Tuesday, available wherever you get podcasts. Dusk on the third day after parting with the caravan, they come upon the first town that can properly call itself a town— a main street stands guard over two rows of small houses. A two-story hotel that looks like it might once have offered some form of rustic luxury lords over the low roofs surrounding it. All around the perimeter of town, small derricks seesaw up and down, pumping wisps of water from deep in the ground into large wooden casks on the surface. At each one, someone with a gun stands guard over the barrels of water. Cass and Nico survey the town from off the road. A few hundred yards out. We ought to go around, Cass says, handing the binoculars to Nico. Any place with this much water is likely lousy with gunslingers. We're out of water, Nico says, and this might be the only place between here and Gravesend to fill up. Cass pulls out her canteen and shakes it, listening to the empty sound. Good news is that if Emma made it all the way to Gravesend, she'd have had to pass through here. If she can make it through on her own, ain't no reason the two of us can't. Cass gives Nico a doubtful look, but there's no getting around it. They need water. They ride into town, passing the derricks on either side. Even in the growing darkness, they can feel the eyes of the guards following them, their fingers resting on the triggers of their rifles. But they stick to the path and no one harasses them on their way in. At the hotel, they tie up their horses and head inside. The ground floor is taken up by a lobby, a bar, and a few card tables, looked after by wizened dealers in ill-fitting uniforms. Oil lamps illuminate the fading tawny wallpaper that might have once been rather charming in a middle-of-nowhere kind of way. The man behind the lobby desk, leaning on an elbow, snaps to attention when they enter, forcing his face into what looks like a seldom-practiced smile. Good evening, he greets them. Are you looking for accommodations for the night? Two beds, if you have them, Cass says, slapping a few coins onto the desk. While the man busies himself with keys, they survey the lobby. There are a few gamblers, a couple people sitting at the bar, drinking lazily and chatting with the bartender. Overlooking the tables is a broken window, boarded up. The wallpaper is burned and peeling away 
and there's water damage darkening the floorboards and carpet around the area. What happened there? asks Cass, when the man returns with their keys. Oh, that. Wishing we had the money to fix that. Almost a year ago, some crazy gal, couldn't have been more than twenty, came through and started a ruckus with some of the gunslingers that protect the water derricks outside town. One minute seems like they're just chatting. Then the bullets start flying and she lights the place on fire with one of the oil lamps, and there's three dead gunslingers that need scraping off the lobby floor. You got a description? Nico says. Who's asking? Two people looking for a runaway. A young woman, as it happens. Y'all bounty hunters or something? That's right, says Cass. The man shuffles some papers behind the desk. Here, we had Benita, one of our card dealers, drop a picture of the girl. Benita's awful good with a pencil. The man hands them a small poster and... Staring out of the yellowing paper are two familiar eyes. It's Emma. Up in their room, Cass stares out the window, overlooking the field of water derricks. Here and there, the orange embers of cigarettes burn as the guards take their drags, small orange stars burning in the darkness. I guess Emma didn't make it through here without a hitch, she says. The only important thing is that she made it through at all. Cass lets the curtain fall back into place. The candlelight throws shapes along the walls, twisted, elongated versions of themselves. Nico thinks of the other day, of dodging the gunslinger's bullets in that old, not-quite-forgotten way. Even after turning his back on the gunslingers, moving like a bullet catcher feels like a second betrayal. How long had it taken him to stop feeling that way when he held a gun for the first time? How long until this shadow on the wall folds itself back into the man he knows himself to be? Ever since he escaped the Northlands with Emma, he's tended to see himself through his sister's eyes. He doesn't doubt she loves him, but still, when she looks at him, she sees a man not to be trusted. A man who's done more harm than good in his life. And because of that, maybe, she kept him at arm's length. And then she left, without so much as a farewell. Cass and Nico wake before the light, wash their faces, and head downstairs. The lobby is packed with people who work the derricks, and guards coming in from the overnight shift, cold and haggard, looking for a shot of snake bite before bed. They weave through the strong-smelling bodies to the bar, hand the bartender their canteens and water pouches, and wait as he goes into the back to fill them up. The barroom is packed with people, old gunslingers, veterans of the war, washouts, turncoats, retirees. Nico knows from experience that it's the washouts you have to look out for. The retirees are usually fed up with fighting, and all a turncoat wants is to keep their head down. But washouts have a chip on their shoulder, a need to prove themselves, and usually by shooting someone. Cass taps her foot impatiently. Bullet? My god, is that you? Nico turns and there's Gabrielle. For a time, she'd served as one of his lieutenants, before she'd been recalled back to the Northlands. He'd not heard from her since. When she left, she'd still been on the young side of 20. She'd been raised in the Southlands, in a town of gunslingers. She was a true believer. 
The few intervening years have been hard on her. Her hair is matted and stuck together by dirt. A long scar runs from her jaw down her neck, and the left sleeve of her shirt is sewn closed above the elbow. It is you, isn't it? She says. You look different. You haven't changed, he says, trying to get a read on her. That's a nice lie, she says, flashing a lopsided smile. What are you doing all the way out here? I might ask you the same thing. She squints at him, pretending to study him closer. You used to be better at playing your cards, she says. You really have changed. How do you reckon? She shrugs. Couldn't put it into words if I tried. You just have a different aura about you. Like, back when we rode together, I was always scared of you. You and Cloak. Even when I was bringing you good news, I looked around for anybody else to deliver it. Maybe you're just not the kid you were back then. That's for damn sure. The barman returns with their water. Cass hands him the money and gathers up the canteens. Big spenders. The man beside them at the bar stares at them. His fist curled around the neck of a bottle. He's so badly hunched his body looks as though it's collapsing in on itself. Leave him alone, Gabrielle says. This here's a friend of mine from way back. How'd any friend of yours make good enough to buy that much water? The man turns back to his drink, not expecting an answer, but he doesn't stop watching them out of the corner of his eye. Time to leave, Cass says, moving toward the door. Gabrielle follows him out into the street. Where are y'all headed anyway? Further south, Nico says, trying to shake her, but she sticks to them as though she hasn't spoken to anyone in years. Nothing much down that way. You looking for work? I could get you some guard duty on one of the derricks. We are not looking for work, Cass says, cutting her off. She swings onto her horse and gives Nico a look that compels him to follow suit. It's hard seeing Gabrielle this way, still young, but already spat out near the end of her life, and knowing he had some part in it. But Cass is right. Time to be going. The hunched man appears in the street before them, blocking their way. He still holds tight to the bottle of snakebite. He takes a swig and produces an old revolver from his waistband, holding it vaguely in their direction. If you don't mind, I'll be helping myself to some of that water, he says. Nico is about to say something when he notices the other people quietly encircling their horses. But this isn't some well-fed and well-watered posse of gunslingers. These people are dressed in tatters of patched clothes. The dirt on their faces and hands says there isn't enough water to wash your face, let alone to drink. They wield rusted guns and worn-down knives. These are the same people who drag themselves into Watertown looking for help, safety, anything. These are the same people who Nico once stole water from, without a second thought. There ain't no need for this, Cass says. She pulls one of the canteens from the saddlebag and tosses it to the hunched man. And when he reaches up to catch it, Gabrielle whips out her revolver and shoots him through the heart. He falls to the ground, his eyes wide in surprise. The circle of people collapses on the canteen, scrabbling over one another for a drink of water. Gabrielle spins the gun on her finger and drops it back into its holster. Still got it, she says, smiling up at Nico. You do, he says. And then he kicks his horse, and he and Cass ride out of town. 
Gabrielle watches them go, the smile on her face melting like wax beneath a flame, as if she had thought by shooting the man she'd have been offered a way out of that place. Nico kicks his horse into a gallop and doesn't look back, because if he does, if he looks back far enough, he sees too clearly that what happened back there wasn't Gabrielle's fault at all, but his own. Because who would she be now if not for him? You're listening to Bullet Catcher Season 3 by Joaquin Lowe. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Have you ever watched a futuristic sci-fi movie and wondered, but wait, could any of this really happen? And will I live long enough to see it? That's what our show Hypothetical is about. I'm Carrie Bechet, and on this podcast, we ask what-if questions about the future. Like, what if we could read minds? What if the world's digital data was erased all at once? What would happen if the Yellowstone supervolcano erupted? Then we explore that question two ways, through speculative science fiction and through dialogue with brilliant scientists. The result is a genre-bending narrative that's interwoven with real facts provided by literal geniuses. And, spoiler alert, a lot of the science fiction out there, it's not nearly as far-fetched as you might think. Come time travel with me into the future on Hypothetical. New episodes on Tuesdays available on all your favorite podcast apps. Just search Hypothetical. That's H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Bullet Catcher is written by Joaquin Lowe. Produced by Marco Palmieri and executive produced by Molly Barton. Performed by Inez del Castillo. Audio produced, directed, and designed by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme composed by Hashem Asadolahi with performances by Justin Morell and Josh Deutsch. Cover art by Christine Barcelona.